A $2.5 million transformation is coming to Air Canada Park outside of the Air Canada building at Portage and Carleton. Will that change the way you feel about that place? Breakfast with the Bombers today. Willie Jefferson joined us ahead of their game this Friday in Regina. An incredible story of survival. Four kids have been found safely in the jungle in Colombia after 40 days. And inspired by those kids, today we asked you, if you had to be stranded somewhere in the wild, where do you think you could survive? I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. And this is the Tuesday, June 13th podcast for The Start. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. We have a lot of interesting things to tell you about this morning. Later this half hour, later this hour, we're going to tell you about four kids found in the jungle alive after a month, a month after their plane crashed. Also today, it's Breakfast with the Bombers. That's at 7.35. But right now, as we, we have this chart in our studio that tells us what people are looking at at globalnews.ca. And Loren made this observation. We have not one, not two... But three stories all in our sort of top of the charts about orcas. Killer killer whales. I said to you, I think about 440, I was like, why on earth is there so much conversation about killer whales? So you have the nice story of a deer swimming with an orca. It's stunning social media. But then there's a couple stories about these orcas off the coast of Spain and Portugal that are becoming strategic in their attacks. This boat captain says he's been ambushed twice, and he's convinced that the the whale that was offended the first time around by something they did has taught the baby whales, the young calves, how to come back at him, that it's deliberate. And so I know we don't have any orcas in Manitoba. <laughs> I know we don't really have that any. That we know of. <laughs> it's the reason why Greg doesn't swim in any of the lakes, just in case of sharks or orcas. But I was fascinated by this. I went down a crazy rabbit hole of all the things we've learned about how smart our orcas are over the years. And then Greg shared something with us that I had not heard of, Brett. I'd heard of it, but uh, I haven't seen it. Shall I just press play? Press play. The ancient Romans called him Orca Orcinus, Latin for bringer of death. He is without challenge the most powerful animal on the globe. The killer whale. Orca has 48 teeth, set in two impressive rows. In some respects, the orca's intelligence may be even superior to man's. They remain loyal to one mate for life. As parents, they are exemplary, better than many human beings. And like human beings, they have a profound instinct for vengeance. See, 46 years ago, on the big screen, we learned... That orcas are programmed for vengeance. This is a nineteen seventy seven. So this is, this is not brand new information. No, I know we've talked about how smart they are. I had no idea this movie existed, and the trailers. Greg has apparently watched this movie three times. Yeah, because the orca, the orca is the good guy. <laughs> Versus the, you know, it's it's nature versus man or man versus <laughs> nature. And in this case, unlike Jaws, where you're afraid of the lead character, this character, you are cheering for the orca to get revenge on Richard Harris's 
absolutely despicable character. And this orca chases Richard Harris's character all over, all up the eastern seaboard, destroys his house that he has. looks like Newfoundland that that stretches in the sea. And the movie ends in the Arctic. It's an incredible movie, and you're cheering for the orca the entire time. How does the orca look? The orca? Oh, like the eye. The eye is really, like, really all they really show, other than, the you know, the large wide frames shots, they really focus in on the eye, and then you can really tell that the orca is, mad. is coming to get you. Coming to get you. <laughs> His ya. eyes are red with anger. Or her, it's fantastic. Her, him, her, yeah, it's fabulous. So how does I guess the Hollywood studio's like, okay, we got a movie about a killer, a great uh, white shark that yep. came out already. There was a big success, so let's find another marine, uh, large marine beast. Let's go with Orca. Let's go with the Orca. Okay, well, maybe we need to uh, get them to do a reboot, a modern-day reboot of Orca. Everything we need to know is playing out in real life. So what's the situation here? In terms of these orcas, and and so they think that the that the parents are actually teaching the young orcas to be vengeful, to 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 get back at at certain people. That's scary. Yeah, he had an encounter with this this one boat captain had an encounter with them back in 2020, and they had eight orcas pushing the boat around for about an hour, uh, just nudging the boat and going at it, and then they've come back a couple. Years later, just uh, recently, to make a second appearance, and they they bit off pieces of the rudder. Like that's all they did. They knew exactly what they were doing. They're targeting, and so I don't <laughs> my know, first what, reaction, the guy says, oh, my no. first reaction was, "Please, not again!" Not again. He thinks it's <laughs> it's crazy. So I get it. This is not real, like there are no orcas here, but it's weird how some stories and some animals it just like they fascinate you, even though you may never see one in your entire. Like I saw a fox. On the way to work today, there's not oh, yeah? a lot of movies about foxes that I can think of. Fox and a Hound. Yeah, that's the only that's one that jumps it. to mind. And he's not attacking you. That's a cute little story. So, like you know, Manitoba's wildlife is a bit different. We do have bears. We did have the cocaine bear to get all excited yeah. about, but we don't have orcas. And I just thought the intelligence. Of fox some stole my uh, golf ball once. Fox, foxes at Granite Hills. Yeah. Yeah. I was on the tee. At, I can't remember which which tee box, but it was a par three at Granite Hills in Lac Dubani and. Getting ready to hit my ball, and along walking down the trail towards us is this little fox. So I ran to the cart to grab my phone. So the the fox deeks towards the tee box where my ball is sitting on the tee, and it took the ball because I think it thought it was an egg. And Perfect. then it ran up the rock face and disappeared. I <laughs> uh, love the foxes. We've got uh, a couple of foxes in our neighborhood. Had one in my front yard a couple of years ago. Got a picture of it. He was pretty skinny. He, he, he was kind of frightening looking because he was clearly malnourished mm. and was looking for food and and well, I've got a Shih Tzu in the backyard and probably would have made a perfect meal for that fox had he managed to get into the backyard, but uh, he was stymied. They're apparently, like as we know, really clever, smarter than Cunning. dogs. Clever, yeah. yeah. Uh, they're the orca of the boreal forest. <laughs> Some might been, say. Some might been, say they're the orca. You just said. I said it. Is that a biological said. fact? I doubt it. But so it's like to localize this orca story. Like, do we need a movie What's like the called Orca of Manitoba? Do we need it like uh, musky, musky, and then like uh, the like the same sort of trajectory of the of the story attacking uh, people in Kenora Harbor and all this sort of stuff. That MS Kenora goes down at the hands of musky. Well, it doesn't have hands, teeth, mouth, fins. Well, 
What was the fish that did attack somebody? Re- it was a muskie. Uh, yeah? In Kenora, in the Lake of the Woods a few years ago. It was, okay, it was yeah. a brush with an, a muskie. One of our listeners is reminding me that we have orcas in Manitoba occasionally off the coast of Churchill. Oh, yeah. So okay, Orcas? That's what they're saying. Oh, I didn't know that. I thought we only had beluga whales in this part well, of the world. Please verify, listener, who just texted about these. Have you seen them? What do you know That's about them? And would you agree with me that the fox is the orca of the boreal forest? Okay. If you, By the way, as, <laughs> as clever and cunning as the fox might be, if you ever just want to see something cute, just look up like fox in wildlife centers or rehab centers. Oh. When you pet, uh, when they... the. Someone pets the fox. They make the cutest little noises. They're adorable. Yes, they are. Um, and if you have any suggestions, what should be the orca, the jaws of Manitoba? <laughs> Let us know at 204-780-6868. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Coming up in our next segment, we're going to tell you how you can win tickets to see Dogman the Musical coming to Winnipeg in November. We just announced that show yesterday, and it has to do with, we're going to expand on the conversation we're about to have in just a moment. And at 7.05, Air Canada Park, big announcement yesterday for some major renovations. Will those renovations actually change the way you might feel about that park? And then at 7.35, Willie Jefferson going to join us for breakfast with the Bombers it was fun when we found that because we just had Willie on not too long ago. We get him again. Nothing wrong with like. There's no such thing as too much Willie Jefferson. No, unless you're a quarterback for opposition teams of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, <laughs> then there is such a thing as too much Willie Jefferson. That's coming up at seven thirty-five. In the meantime, this is a miraculous story of survival. Four kids, one as young as a year old, have been found in the jungle alive. Over a month after their plane crashed, NBC's Marissa Parra has the story. Eyes wide with fear, four children, all siblings, are pulled aboard a helicopter in the middle of the night. They are safe. Rescued after 40 harrowing days surviving alone in the Colombian jungle. Their journey starts May 1st. A plane carrying seven people cites engine failure and disappears from radar. The bodies of three adults, including their mother, are found in the wreckage. But the smallest passengers, four indigenous Witoto children, the oldest 13, the youngest just 11 months old, nowhere to be found. The search began for what became known as Operación Esperanza, Operation Hope. For weeks, they searched for signs of exactly that. Together, Colombian military and indigenous community leaders took to the skies and the ground, scouring the rainforest, thick with underbrush. Full of bugs and predators. Lost in the process, Wilson, a search dog, part of the rescue crew, still missing to this day. But found small signs of life. A diaper, a bottle, and footprints. Galvanized, the teams continued by night and by day. From a helicopter loudspeaker, the military played a recording of their grandmother reassuring the children, stay put, they're looking for you. And on June 9th, after 40 days, this rescue. Quiet, scared, and shivering, the siblings clinging to those around them. A moment met with hugs and tears of disbelief from family back home. Their grandmother, in pain over losing her daughter, saying, I want to hug my four grandchildren. I need them here. With their father at their side, they arrive on the tarmac. Greeted by those who led the brave operation, calling the children the bravest ones. Small testimonies to the power of survival and hope. 
Marissa Parra, NBC News. That is just one incredible story when you think about the fact that these kids, like children, the youngest at 11 months, turning one at some point. I mean, I don't even know if you'd be walking, if that child was walking, if they were carrying them the entire time. They're eating flour and seeds to survive. I guess to their credit is their upbringing, right? Like their indigenous history and understanding of the land to help them to identify fruits that they could eat and all sorts of different things. But man, like I don't know adults that would have survived 40 days like that, let alone four kids and how they cared for one another. You had said this morning, Greg, maybe that was the saving grace. Is their age? Does that help? They don't, they don't know what's out there or how bad it could get maybe. And that keeps hope. Then the psychological idea of, you know, not even wondering or worrying about what's around you at night is probably uh, what would lead to sleep deprivation and maybe some psychological uh, issues in terms of waiting for 40 days. But how ingenious was the idea of playing the grandmother's voice over the loudspeaker on that helicopter? I mean, maybe one day we'll know if that had an impact if they even heard if the kids even heard that voice and if it encouraged them to in fact stay in one place what's the rule if you get separated from your kids at an amusement park or a mall right uh, stay where you are don't be walking around so that we can find you uh, just an incredible story and uh, you know there were there was at least one false start a few weeks ago a couple of weeks ago where the president of Colombia suggested that they had been the kids had been found so they clearly had a lot of faith that they would be able to find these kids, unprecedented resources, and what an incredible amount of time to just simply not give up hope. Yeah, this is this is pretty cool. I just made the mistake of Googling giant insects rainforest, and um, like there there's a, a Goliath bird-eating spider that's bigger than your hand. It's like the size of a small puppy. Um, if I see, I would just die of fright. If I were to see something like that, that would be it. Game over. I would probably have a heart attack and just heal over right there. Uh, so the fact that these kids survive not just four hours, but 40 days with a baby. With a remarkable. baby. And, and the thing that you, you talk about the dying of fright, you, you know, maybe we, an adult would overthink so many things. Like, yeah. should I eat this fruit? Can I eat this fruit? Should I touch this? This water looks dirty. Is this water going to be dangerous for me? Whereas maybe if you're four or 10 or 11, you're like, that's water. Let's drink it. That's oh. a berry. My, our grandparents taught us we could have it. Like, I, I think that the youth, their age might have been the miracle there. What, what, what do they say about death, right? The only thing worse than death is the anticipation of death. And yeah, I think adults, older people would would really overthink that and and really get inside their own head and talk about instinct. We've been talking about this instinct with killer whales and with orcas and and the idea that they, you know, the adults train their young. What about the instinct for the oldest in this group to take care of the youngest of everybody to take care of this baby? That's to me is what an incredible study of sociology and and love and compassion for what each other. My goodness. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. We have tickets to give away for Dogman the Musical coming to Winnipeg November 10th, Centennial Concert Hall, based on the super, super mega popular series of books for kids. Uh, the musical looks like a ton of fun, and the conversation we're about to have, the discussion we're about to have, is inspired by what we just learned about these four kids who survived in the Colombian rainforest, the Colombian jungle, for 40 days. Where, if you had to be stranded somewhere, 
and had to rely on yourself. Like, it's one thing to say, oh, if I had to be stranded somewhere, I'd be stranded at uh, Bora at a resort in Bora Bora. No, that's not what we want to talk about here. If you had to be stranded somewhere and had to survive on your own, where would it be? Or perhaps you have been stranded before, whether it was just a few hours or a few days. I don't know. Maybe you've got a story you'd like to share. We've had a couple of people tell us they got stuck in the snow and had to wait for help for a few days. 204-780-6868 for a chance to win. Let's go around the horn here. Cameron Poitras, let's start with you, sir. Well, I, I, I think I could make it, but it would have to be like a very, very temperate zone. You know, not too hot, not too cold, lack of elements, plentiful fish. I think I could I think I could catch fish. Fish are kind of stupid. I think I could figure out a way to <laughs> to catch fish with just like my bare hands. I figure like You're after a while. Like a bear. We're just gonna grab yeah, it with I our think bare so. Hands. Yeah, like I'll just like grow all of like with my claws, I think so. I think I could wrestle like uh, some sort of animal as well and and take it out, put it in a headlock and just choke it out, rear naked choke, that sort of thing. <laughs> Uh, like, but like, I think I could like on an island. I think I could make it for a month. I think I could make it for a month, like eating coconuts and all that sort of sort of thing. Like, I think I could make it. Like, but I'll say this: the Colombian rainforest, I wouldn't make it twelve hours. I'd be dead. No chance. I would have absolutely no chance. I couldn't imagine a more worse place for myself than the rainforest. What sort of animals would you be prepared to take on? Like, what are we talking about? Well, a capybara. I could take one of those things down. A warthog. A capybara. <laughs> Like I think, like if I if a there bird, a I think I could take a bird. Didn't they run wild in Toronto for like a week? Yeah, <laughs> there yeah, were, they there were several people trying to capture this cap capybara, like experts in hunting. They should. And you think you're just gonna tackle one? They should have called me. <laughs> wow. This is interesting. Love what's, the what's in your skill set that makes you think you have this ability to like uh, choke hold a uh, wild ten- animal? Tenacity. Delusion. Tenacity. Delusion. Tenacity. <laughs> I think I could out-muscle it. Like, I'd just be like, you see, listen, when you're going into a, a battle with an animal that doesn't, like, have an understanding, like, we we have the understanding that, like, oh, we're going to get hurt, and then that's going to be the end of it. It's like if you're, like, an eagle's coming at you. You have to realize that, listen, you're going to get, this eagle is going to screw you up. It's going to scratch you. It's going to claw you. What happened when that hawk came at you? And it's going to, it's going to, well, listen, I didn't have a chance to grab at that hawk, uh, and it was, listen, I'm not talking about something with, like, a 20-foot wingspan, like that hawk that came at me with, like, talons. <laughs> Like incredible talons, uh, like, like razor sharp and stuff like that. But like, if it was me or that hawk, I could beat that hawk, no problem. <laughs> if it, if it came mano a mano and it was like, listen, listen, hawk, you're gonna get some, you're gonna get some, you're gonna get some <laughs> hits in here. But listen, if it's me and you, it, I'm coming out on top. I just got to grab that wing. I got one wing and then it's over. I it's love finished. the confidence. What if it hits you in the head in a dive bomb. Well, that's <laughs> that's, that's that's its weakness. That's the opportunity I have to grab it. When it's in a dive, when it's doing in a like dive fifty bomb, miles an hour, well, then you just have to understand. It's going to wind up and super punch it midair. No, no, that's when you grab it. See, you have oh, to understand okay, that you're going to get hit here. Like you're going to like you it's going to get a couple. Brett, how yeah. many times does he have to, you have <laughs> yeah. to understand? Yeah, it's you're going to get it's going to get some licks in. There's no doubt about it. I'm not in denial there. It's not a. It's not. I'm coming out of this thing scot free. But I'm just so saying, you're going to rope a dope it. Is what you're saying? Yeah, oh, yeah. In, in so many words, yeah. <laughs> Okay, Cameron Porter's starting us off right. Who wants to go next? I'm not going to point fingers. Sarah, well, that let's is go with you. exactly why I will not survive because I will not be tackling any animals. I'll just accept my fate when it comes down to that. Um, I'm not sure where exactly I would survive. I know where I wouldn't. I absolutely fear the ocean. So anywhere around the ocean, you don't know what's down there. I don't want to know what's down there. So if it was stranded in a boat, I would not like that at all. Um, but anywhere like by like shallow water, I think would be nice. Water's calming. You need water. So 
I think about a couple weeks for me too. So if you were stranded, <laughs> like say Tom Hanks and Castaway, you would not make an attempt uh, to build a raft. You would just no, res- just resolve yourself there. to just being stuck there. on the island for yeah. the rest of your life. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> I have to say that would be that would have been hard to get on that raft. Yeah. I oh, guess yeah. he was there for years, and he just sort of decided it was time to give it a shot. But just to not know where you are, like that wide mm-hmm. open space. See, my thing with the survival stuff is that I. I'm with you, Cam, where I couldn't do the Amazon, but not just because of the creatures and whatnot. It's like the claustrophobic nature of that. You wouldn't, you don't know which way you're going. Like, what's up, mm-hmm. what's down, what's what, north, what's south. You could take all the girl guide camps in the world you want. You land in the Amazon. I think it's just, you're enclosed. And how it's, hot would it be during the day? Sticky, you'd be muggy. constantly wet. You'd be constantly right. wet. And, but then I, so I, I think I could survive well where I could see like that open space, like a lake, mm-hmm. like a natural freshwater lake. But if it was the ocean and that unknown, like I don't, no. I literally don't know where I am. That would drive me nuts. Macro. So it would have to be a lake, just a lake, some fresh I, water. I'm not I, catching any fish with my bare hands. I need, too, stump. I need too much stuff. You're not, you've never been hungry enough. <laughs> What's that? I said catch. I couldn't catch a fish with my bare hands. And he said it's because I've never been hungry enough. I get it. You <laughs> it has do nothing to do with how quick you are or your, your natural ability speed. to do well, that. Ryan's got mad speed. I can see it. <laughs> I can see some speed there. I need too much stuff. I tried to run away from home in grade seven and I had my back. <laughs> I had all my stuff packed, my my tent and my and my sleeping bag and the stuff that I thought I needed. I got on my bike and I went to the bank to take out my $47 out of the bank to ride my bike to St. Mallow. I got about three blocks and I said, this is too much. Hey, Mallow, that was going to take you forever. I know, but I knew there was a nice campground there. And uh, my $47, I wasn't sure how far that could go, but I got about three blocks and I, this is too much work. And I went home <laughs> and that was the end of that. <laughs> so I gotta so even, even to be self-sufficient at a campground with all my stuff, mm-hmm. too much work. <laughs> I just lay down and just come and get me. Yeah. Yeah. Forte, what about you? See, I would not survive anywhere. Like I would be dead right away <laughs> so fast. But if I were going to try, you know, maybe, maybe somewhere cold, actually, you know, uh, depending on like, what do I have to survive? Like, do I have a jacket, like a snowsuit? Like, what, what, what do I have? But, you know, I could build an igloo, start a little fire in it. You could uh, heat up some snow so you got drinkable water, Um, you know, cut a hole in the ice, do a little ice fishing. Okay. Well, because let's let's say it is a plane crash situation and some of the... You can re- re- retain some of the stuff on the plane. You know, you know, there mm-hmm. might be mm-hmm. jackets or parkas on the on the plane. There might be a rifle, for example, like in, flare in, gun, flare in the gun. Gray, There'd be glass Liam bottles Neeson's you rifle could put on your broke. hands. <laughs> That's right. And just like and fight punch, the wolves, and, Cam style. Yeah, you, well, Cam doesn't even need the glass to punch the wolves. It. I don't need it. You, but, could, you could have a flare gun. You could shoot that eagle. Boom! Get it right out of the air. Oh, I think that's a contravention of some sort of treaty or I think they're an endangered species. So I wouldn't do that. Well, I guess it, you're, you're trying to survive, man. No, no, no. You got to respect the laws. I guess there's another wrinkle we can toss into this as well. If you had to be stranded somewhere, where do you think you could survive? Or maybe if you had to be stranded somewhere, if there was one tool you could survive with, like Loren talked about being out in the open. So maybe a rifle for example, would be ideal in that kind of a situation for long, like long range targeting. I need something to start a fire. I read a book about a hatch. It was called the hatchet and it was uh-huh. about a kid that got stranded and mm-hmm. that was his, that was the main tool yeah. that he needed. So I yeah. would go with the hatchet. Cause with the hatchet, you could use it to, to, to start strike sparks. 
onto a fire. Yeah, you perhaps. can, you can skin, cut the trees down. You can skin the bear that you yeah. killed with your bear. You can hands. kill the There's animal no and then and then no it's grooming. You can't There's do no with a hatchet. <laughs> you know what? This weekend I'm getting a hatchet. Cam dropping them off somewhere in Manitoba. <laughs> see if we see you Monday. See you later. <laughs>
this park has been neglected for a number of years. So this was on top of our list at the downtown Winnipeg biz uh, to get to get a makeover. And so we're, we're looking at two and a half million dollars going in. Now, the redesign is just one part of the solution. As you mentioned, you know, there have been some concerns raised and, and some challenges around the park, both for, you know, property owners and businesses um, in, in the immediate area. But also we've heard safety concerns from the people who do spend time in the park, um, who gather there. It is a place where people are meeting their friends, they're connecting, they're gathering. Um, As I mentioned, you know, we don't have a lot of outdoor spaces in our downtown to do that. So the hope with this project is really to create an enhanced space um, uh, with some, some, some things that are happening to enhance safety, like increased sight lines, changing the grade level, but also a more open space that will allow us to program large events there. And we know both programming and providing supports and resources on site are going to make a difference. It was a park, is now more of a rundown park, is going to remain a park with some renovations. And you know, Kate, there will be people in the audience saying, well, then what really is the difference? What difference will this make to the perception of that park and make it a, a space for all? Absolutely. And I think when we look at, you know, what makes a park successful, um, especially for urban parks, um, programming really helps. And so, you know, we had some hoop dancers there yesterday. We've had musicians. We've had lunch and learns over the past. And when we're in the space uh, programming it for people, you see a shift and a change. Um, And I think it's a real opportunity for us to celebrate um, in our city, in our downtown, Indigenous art, culture, um, uh, provide ceremony, working with elders, and that's what we've been doing and testing over the last two summers. So we've seen some shifts, and I think, you know, working with organizations like Spirit Horse Initiative is really exciting as well, providing uh, supports within the park for people who want to connect to resources. So the redesign is just one part, but I think I'm really excited about, you know, you talk about the tree canopy, and so what are the trees? You know, trees have, have a, a, a lifespan, um, so we want to make sure that there is an, um, a green canopy in that park for years to come but also as I mentioned you know just that open space where we can have a little stage and we can have performers uh, it's another place for us to program some exciting things downtown and uh, the plan also includes social supports for those who frequent the park Uh, so what kind of social supports are we talking We're still in early stages exploring that, but we know that is one component that that needs to be part of this. So there's conversations happening with the city of Winnipeg, uh, social service sectors, organizations, uh, downtown community safety partnership as well, is what that's going to look like. Um, You know, this is going to be a pretty quick construction project. So we're looking at, you know, the park is open this summer. We just planted our ninth annual Indigenous garden there yesterday. Um, So the park will be open this summer, but then construction is going to start really late August, early fall, uh, and hope to be wrapped up actually before winter hits with any finishing touches happening this spring. So we really want to make sure that we have supports in place, uh, a programming plan with organizations, arts, culture organizations that may want to be in the space and have that ready to go for next year. Kate Fenske, CEO of the Downtown Winnipeg Biz, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Kate, thank you very much for this. We appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Have a great week. Breakfast with the Bombers, brought to you by co-operators investing in your future together. Now, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers scored 42 points on Friday night in what was, for all intents and purposes, a dominating performance, in the words of Mike O'Shea. But for three plays. You know, I'm talking about in the game, not defensively, but for three plays, it's a it's an outstanding game. 
Those three plays resulted in 18 of Hamilton's 31 points. A blocked punt, a fumble by Zach Caleros, which was returned for a touchdown, and a Janarian Grant fumble, which turned into a touchdown for Hamilton one play later, were bizarre to say the least. Coach O'Shea goes on to discuss with Derek Taylor in last night's coaches show the character of his team in face of such circumstance. Your guys did not appear phased by the bad things not, that happened. Not, not a chance. Not a chance. There's no reason to be. The whole of the game, um, I think they felt uh, pretty good about. And I think they, I, I shouldn't say, I think I know that they have a very good understanding of what just happened, why it happened, how it happened, what's its impact, right, overall. They don't have to wait to see the film to have a good understanding of what really went on, right? Just like at the, at the end of every game or the day after, we, we look at the reasons the, the real reasons, the concrete reasons why you win and lose football games. So they're they're so finely tuned to that now that in game they can have a very good understanding of what just happened, why it happened, how it happened, what they need to do to fix it, and whether or not it's gonna, you know, have a a big impact on winning or losing. So <laughs> you know, which yeah. is which is really cool that they've got to that point. Willie Jefferson joins us now on the start. Willie, good morning. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Good morning, good morning, good morning to you. So uh, you listen to Coach O'Shea's comments there. Would you agree with that, Willie, the idea of of learning uh, from from what's taken place, growing from these sorts of plays and, and not letting it become an adversity, That this part of who, who this team is? Oh, most definitely. You, it's good to uh, get stuff like that out the way early, you know, just like those simple mistakes that could turn into big, you know, saying big big turnovers and, you know, flipping the field and things like that. It's good to get those kind of things out the way first game in a in the in the fashion that we were able to do it in and things like that. So yeah, everything Coach O'Shea said it was it was it was correct. Well overcoming adversity, you know, it could be on the field or it could be off the field, Willie. So I'm curious if you have a story of your life where you dealt with adversity, maybe outside football or maybe a relative or mentor along the way that, you know, gave you that speech or that line that really sticks with you to this day. Oh, most definitely. Um, so when I was in college, so like when I was in college, uh, my strength and conditioning coach, like it was one of the things like he sat down and told all of, all of like the young guys and things like that being, away from home and things like that is just, uh, and it's something that, that stays with me still to this day. It's like you just have to control the things that you can control, being away from home, being away from friends and family members and things like that. Like things may get, go home back at home, but, you know, like you are where you are for a reason. And they, like, you know, like the things that go on back at home, like you can't worry about them as, as much as you would if you were back at home. So, you being away and things like that, you need to, you know, worry about what you can control. And, you know, if if you can help from a distance, do that. But don't try to be too fully involved in things where you can't, where you can't help. And Willie, last week there was some discussion, a couple of stories in the media about the idea that the window of opportunity for this core group of players might be closing. So was Friday night at all a response to those questions in any way? Man, Friday night was just uh was just us playing Winnipeg football. Like we don't really listen to the outside noise and worry about, you know, 
the future of, you know, guys' contracts and things like that. We worry about the here and the now, and the guys are here, and we're together now, and, you know, we don't worry about 2023. And then whatever happens after that, it happens after that. You guys looked like you were having fun out there on Friday night, you know, despite the game getting closer than than it ever had any business in, in getting. Who Who's other than you? Who who does the best celebrations for either touchdowns or big plays? Uh, Dembski, uh, she Bailey, uh, Yoshi Hardrick, uh, Darby, Alden Darby, and then uh, Biggs. Who's the best dancer on the team? Like you guys must talk about that, or, or there must be some sort of showdowns in the dressing room from time to time. Uh, the best dancer on the team will probably have to be either Stanley Bryant or Jeff Gray or Pat- Patrick Newfield or Dalton Schoen. When I, I was in the car, Greg phoned yesterday, and I was with my son, and he said, Willie, Willie Jefferson's going to join us on the show tomorrow. My youngest was like, oh, he's the one with the dance. And then when I went back looking, you did a snow dance, I think, back in, was it 2019, Willie? It was like you're inspired by one of your uh, yeah, kids? With my, yeah, with my, little, uh, with my daughter, yeah, her first time experiencing snow in the house. So did she ever give you advice and dad, you should try this this weekend? Like any tips on your dance moves? Oh, most definitely. We played just dance. We played just dance <laughs> pretty much all the time. And you know, like she hints to me like, and when we play, she's like, daddy, you should do one of these moves or do my, uh, do my move and things like that. Or, you know? Well, here's another one. Then when you went out and danced in the snow, because that's your first exposure to it, you might not be thinking of it, but were you, did you take care and watch your feet so that you didn't slip in the snow? Oh, yeah. I, I, I'm one of those people who, who has yet to, I guess, put my back to the, to the ground when it comes to the ice <laughs> on the ground and stuff like that. So I, I'm, you know, keeping my fingers crossed. You've never, never fallen on the ice stuff. or snow? You've never fallen. Not that I know of. <laughs> He's a pro athlete. He's got great balance. Well, if there's no video, it never and, happened. Yeah, yeah. And, and I and I and I just don't want to be those people in the wintertime with the with the one boot on. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have a long way to fall, Willie. A much lo- longer way to fall than a lot of us do. So uh, into Regina Friday night, uh, the work really gets going today. It probably started. Uh, right after, uh, moments after the the win on Friday night, do, do you still enjoy going to Regina? And you know, you played there for 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 a time. Do you still look forward to going back there and and engaging with the fans? I absolutely love going back to Regina just just for that reason. Because like you know, I had I had a great time when I played there, and then just like leaving to come here, playing there and stuff like that. The fans are still amazing. And stuff like that. So uh, turnout's always good, you know, for both teams. And, you know, we always uh, seem to have a great time when we go out there. Can't wait. Willie Jefferson joining us live on 680 CJOB for Breakfast with the Bombers. Willie, thank you so much for the time. We really appreciate it, sir. I appreciate you guys for having me. Saskatchewan Rough Riders on Friday night. 
Mr. Mackling. Wouldn't it be nice to see the Bombers stick it to Saskatchewan this early in the season? Anytime they stick it to Saskatchewan is good. I'll take it in the preseason. I'll take it in the regular season. Obviously, it's ultimate in the playoffs, but absolutely. See the Bombers go. I can't say 2-0 and because I've been conditioned by the players and by the to go 1-0 and again this week. Fair. Right? you got to use their vernacular. Six, oh, 746 with Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. We do breakfast with you the Bombers. Don't go back in time, Brad. <laughs> Better than jumping ahead an hour, right? Uh, we Breakfast with the Bombers every Tuesday just after 730. And Bombers in Regina on Friday night to take on the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, our next winner for Flippin' Awesome Dads. $500 gift card for Lux Barbecue Company coming up in three minutes' time. But we just wanted to quickly revisit the conversation, the discussion we had earlier on the big announcement for changes coming to Air Canada Park. Yeah, so $2.5 million is going to be spent on renovations that will start in the fall. They're going to start with hosting some more public events down there, but they want to change the space because, as I think we all can agree, it's been really run down over the past few years. You mentioned, Brett, you know, you walk by now and there's often encampments set up. And then, of course, there's all sorts of concerns whether you're staying there uh, when you're not technically supposed to be or if you're just wanting to walk by or use it as a space to have lunch. So just after 7, we spoke to Kate Fenske, CEO of Downtown Winnipeg Biz, about what might take shape there. You know, there have been some concerns raised and, and some challenges around the park, both for, you know, property owners and businesses um, in, in the immediate area, but also we've heard safety concerns from the people who do spend time in the park, um, who gather there. It is a place where people are meeting their friends, they're connecting, they're gathering. Um, we, as I mentioned, you know, we don't have a lot of outdoor spaces in our downtown to do that. So the hope with this project is really to create an enhanced space um, uh, with some, some, some things that are happening to enhance safety, like increased sight lines, changing the grade level, but also a more open space that will allow us to program large events there. And we know both programming and providing supports and resources on site are going to make a difference. So changing the grade level, that would be more about bringing it all up to ground level, right? So there's no hidden spaces, I would think, or, that's, or that's out, what of, I'm, out of sight line spaces. Yeah, sorry, Loren, didn't mean to step on you there. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm imagining, and I'm thinking that that might be part of the issue there in terms of things going on that you don't necessarily want going on in public. If you look at that Portage Place bus shelter, that was an issue for so many years. Part of that was that you're sort of hiding in plain sight, all the drug dealing and everything that was going on and the assaults that took place in that bus shelter, they took that bus shelter out because it gave certain people a sense of confidence and comfort that they weren't being able to be seen from the street. And I wonder if that's part of the equation here at Air Canada Park. And then I couldn't help but think about Central Park and how it's changed over the years. A $10 million or so dollar investment several years ago. They've got playing fields now. They've got that splash pad and opportunities for recreation and, and, and an opportunity for people to be there as opposed to avoiding it, Brett. 
Yeah, I used to hate even driving past Central Park. I just didn't want to be in the vicinity of that space. So it's great to see how that's turned around. So hopefully they can turn it around for well uh, as well for this park, Air Canada Park. And you can weigh in at 204-780-6868. In the meantime, it's time to unveil our second winner for one of our online contests at cjob.com. Flippin' Awesome Dads, where you can win a $500 gift card from our friends at Lux Barbecue Company by heading to cjob.com to nominate a special dad in your life. Today's winner is Taylor Brown, who says, My dad has always put his family first, no matter how many sacrifices he's had to make. I've grown up a dad's girl, and he always took the time to make me feel special, whether that was taking me out on a daddy-daughter date, telling me how proud he was. Just the other day, he told me that my dress was pretty. Father figures are so important, especially in a little girl's life, and I am so blessed to have the dad that I have. Congratulations, Taylor. Head to CGOB.com for your chance to win a $500 gift card from Lux Barbecue Company with flippin' awesome dads. Three more winners to go this week, and at 8.50, we'll announce our next winner for Let's Talk Turkey with Manitoba Turkey Producers. Former U.S. President Donald Trump is expected in a Miami courtroom later today. That's where he's expected to plead guilty to 37 criminal counts detailed in an explosive indictment unsealed on Friday. This all has to do with his alleged mishandling of classified materials after he left the White House. An historic moment for the United States and its Justice Department. Global's Reggie Cicchini is in Miami and joins us this morning. Reggie, good morning. Good morning. So set the scene for us. Uh, I know that this is, a, this is a, a part of the country where Donald Trump is incredibly popular. It's essentially his home now, just down the road from where he lives. What's going on as we speak? Well, so the media is here and the media, it is a media circus outside of this courthouse. Uh, uh, and there are some groups that are starting to show up that are uh, supporters of the former president. A group of about 30 just came by chanting Trump. Uh, they're known as Blacks for Trump. Uh, they say that a couple of more busloads uh, are expected here within the next hour. Uh, so that is what is expected outside of the courthouse. But it's interesting because when we were in New York to deal with Trump's state level arraignments, uh, there was a, a, an incredible security presence in and around that courthouse. This morning, the courthouse is surrounded by some flimsy police tape and there are no barricades up. They say that they're prepared, but there are legitimate questions here over what they may be able to do if there are, uh, you know, disruptions outside of the courthouse. So that's outside. Inside, Reggie, walk us through what we expect. I was just saying off air, are we talking about um, a mugshot coming out of this? You know, does he go, does he go in handcuffs and come back out later today? How's it all going to work? So it'll be a 20-kilometer drive from his Doral golf course to the courthouse uh, at 3 o'clock, and he'll be inside possibly about 90 minutes. We're told there may be a mugshot, there may not be a mugshot. If there is one, it will not be released to the public. Also worth pointing out that the public will not see anything that goes on inside the court. Unlike New York, where we saw that bit of a perp walk from one door to another, uh, cameras are forbidden and any kind of transmitting device is forbidden in a federal courtroom, so we have to rely on court sketches to kind of get a glimpse as to what was going on. He will be arraigned on those 37 charges. They will be read to him. He will be digitally uh, fingerprinted. Uh, it could last an hour, maybe 90 minutes before he whisks out of here and heads to a fundraiser in New York. So this will be a, a moment in American history never experienced before, but simply a blip uh, in that timeline. Now, Reggie, we understand the indictment laid out what national security experts call a nightmare scenario. So why are they calling it that? 
Well, look, I mean, the information that had been seen, uh, you know, strewn on the floor of his Mar-a-Lago resort, uh, it had to do with national defense matters, including uh, the U.S. nuclear program. It had to do with uh, foreign adversaries, including a potential attack on Iran. Some of the information was classified that's shared between allies like the Five Eyes, including uh, Canada, which is information that would only be released to high-level officials in those countries. Yet here we had uh, allegations, uh, not only from this indictment, but allegations that came from Donald Trump's lawyer himself that this information was being shown to people throughout his golf club. And that is the reason that there is such a concern here for national security, because some of the levels of classification of these documents were so classified that we don't know what the classification level is. So there are concerns here that America's kind of credibility in the global eye, especially among its allies, may be tarnished right now. Reggie, could there be a difference in terms of some of the limitations, some of the conditions that Donald Trump faces following this hearing today in terms of things that he may not be allowed to do, conversations about whether or not he will or will not have to surrender his passport, those sorts of things? It's likely he won't have to surrender uh, his passport. And and we have to remember, he is the front runner in the Republican uh, Party right now in the middle of an election campaign. And there are delicate waters that need to be waded here to ensure that it doesn't come across as any kind of election interference. And, and both the White House, the Department of Justice, the special counsel are keenly aware uh, of the perception that that may uh, unfold. So it's it, again, it's not likely he's going to be forbidden from traveling anywhere. Uh, you know, we'll have to see if, the, if there ends up being some kind of gag order put in place. We know that that was threatened uh, in the Manhattan case because he continuously uh, was talking about it on the campaign trail. Again, you know, we'll have to wait to see what comes out of this over the uh, over the course of that hour. Also worth pointing out, we don't actually know who his legal team is yet. He was still interviewing defense attorneys and firms yesterday afternoon. There were some reports, Reggie, that some of those defense teams were turning him down or not maybe interested in representing. Is, it, is that part of the challenge or is it about him just looking to find the right representation? I think it's. I think it part and part. I mean, it, probably a couple. But the big one here is it's. It's difficult for him to find representation because it, we have to remember that his own lawyer Evan Corcoran became a key witness in this case because special counsel uh, put a crime fraud exception in place and the attorney client privilege had to be broken. So any of the contemporaneous notes that a lawyer was taking at the time ended up becoming evidence and presented to a grand jury. And that could potentially put a risk on a defense attorney that is trying to represent uh, this client. So there are risks associated with that. That could be part of the reason that Trump is still uh, potentially, even this morning, trying to interview outside of his core group that he already has. And Reggie, in terms of his numbers, is this galvanizing his base? Sure, it's galvanizing the base and it's also filling the coffers. He is still monetizing off of this. He's going to a fundraiser tonight in New Jersey as soon as he's done in his courtroom. So he is bankrolling on this kind of political disadvantage he's in at the moment. The base uh, is growing stronger and so too is report, uh, support amongst Republicans as a whole. There was polling that came out. 80% say that these charges uh, kind of were nonsense and didn't need to happen. The same majority thinking uh, that this is nothing more than a political witch hunt. What it's doing as well is forcing members with in the Republican race to kind of side with Trump and not attack him, while at the same time trying to attack the process, understanding that if they go after the president, they risk, you know, not being able to collect back some of that base because they'll see it as an attack on Donald Trump. So, I mean, this becomes a delicate walk for Republicans, even though they're trying to look for some of that support that's under Trump right now. Global's Reggie Cicchini joining us live on 680 CJOB from Miami. Thank you very much, Reggie. Much appreciated.
Thank you. You can read more and stay on top of this at cjob.com, globalnews.ca. And of course, we'll bring you any up-to-date information on 680 CJOB. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Our updated question of the day, by the way, at cjob.com is for Mr. Furness. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furness at 204-832-6243. A $2.5 million transformation is in the works for Air Canada Park at Portage and Carleton. What do you think? Options are great. It's much needed. Second option, at least they're doing something. And third option, it won't change anything. Cast your vote at cjob.com. We shift gears now to talk about the man who is accused of repeatedly stabbing a server in a Winnipeg Olive Garden. An attack police say was random and unprovoked. So over the past few days, we've learned and shared a bit more of the suspect's criminal past, encounters with the justice system and with police. But we're asking questions now about any contact with either a mental health system or even addiction support because court transcripts detailed Robert Allen Ingram had developed a meth problem of sorts in and around his incarceration for arson a few years ago. And so we were trying to figure out what happened perhaps before or after. Our next guest runs both Moorburg House and St. Boniface Street Links and work that had her cross paths with the accused in this case. We say good morning now to Marion Willis. How are you, Marion? Hi, good morning. I'm well, thank you. Thanks for taking the time to delve into this because it's it's never a simple answer, I don't think, whenever we have questions about what the heck happened here. And it might be weeks or months or years before we have a, a truer sense of the picture. But what can you tell us about your encounters with the accused in this stabbing at Olive Garden? Well, you know, we have a four-year history with the accused. And I can tell you that uh, he first came to us in February of uh 2019. Um, He came to us as a young person who had a meth addiction um, and uh, also some other uh, sort of vague uh, underlying mental health issues, which I think uh, the system uh, and maybe even us at at the beginning would have said uh, was sort of poor mental health, perhaps linked to meth use. Um, he was a very pleasant young man, uh, comes from a very, very uh, good family and a family that's been very involved with him and uh, a family that has really advocated from the beginning uh, for him uh, to receive um, uh, mental health supports that uh, at the end of the day just seemed not to exist for him. We had him for lengthy periods of time in Warburg House where he was not using drugs at all and, uh, uh, you know, not using uh, the underlying mental health was actually uh, really, really obvious. He was, you know, initially in 2019, uh, somebody that was socially withdrawn, who um, really had a love for Willow, who was our, who was just a pup at the time in our house dog. And I remember him sitting on the base on the um, stairs in the stairway of the living room, uh, not with the other people in the room, but all isolating himself away, you know, and that's sort of how he uh, completed React and just sort of our recovery program sitting there with the dog. But we saw over time, um, he would come and go uh, from our program. And we saw, we watched over time, the progression of really severe and complex uh, mental illness. And there within really lies the challenges. 
you know, there were there were so many times when it became so clear that this young man uh, really suffered from uh, severe and persistent mental illness. But unfortunately, every time, and there were many, many times when his family, um, our organization, we would team up with his family. We all worked so hard to get uh, Robert the level of mental health supports that he really needed. But we just couldn't, you know. And, um, you know, he really needed uh, forensic psychiatry and he needed an admission to the Selkirk Mental Health Centre. He needed a discharge plan after that that would put him in a small uh, group home uh, facility, you know, um, that was would be uh, staffed 24-7 and a therapeutic group home with, with that understood mental illness and actually could work with psychiatry to, to stabilize and come up with a plan. And that was also doable when he came to us at 23 years old. But from 23 until today, just look at the progression. I mean, this is a young man who became uh, dangerous, not just like initially to animals. We began to see that. We, there were just so, ma- so many times. And, you know, on, on several admissions to, uh, to psychiatry, uh, I know that psychiatry was as frustrated as we were uh, because our Mental Health Act pre- actually prevent, prevented uh, this young man from actually being detained. And, um, and that's really what he needed. He needed to be detained. He so- needed forensic psychiatry. He needed a community mental health worker. He needed what this system doesn't have and I don't even want to call the system because that suggests that there's something in place that's broken. So Marion, I just uh, I, I want to just interject here for a second. I'm sorry because we're talking about I, I, I appreciate the the way you're sort of outlining the progression here, right? And the concerns that you would see. So it, are you telling me that at some point you or someone in this family actually went to a psychiatrist or a psychiatrist expressed concerns for for violence and even that wasn't enough to get admitted into a full or better bed system, Marion? Well, yeah, and who are we? We are a program in the community. Uh, parents are just parents, a very uh, high-functioning parents and very engaged parents. And you would think that it would be the parents in the organization that actually cared for this young person 24-7 that would have the very best understanding of what was really going on. But we were never heard and it was really, really hard uh, to get anybody to pay attention. I remember at one point when he was, uh, he served time uh, for some of the 18 arsons that, uh, that he committed. And um, when he was, he was actually released right back to the street without letting us know, without letting his family know, and with absolutely no plan. And... Uh, we we took him back for a short while, uh, and and eventually we were able to get the mental health files from the correctional facilities. He'd actually tried to hang himself while he was in custody, and the system actually didn't think that was important enough to let his family know or even us know. I mean, and again, uh, why is that? Well, that would infringe on uh, his rights, probably infringe on privacy legislation, you know, uh, I really think that it's time uh, for uh, our province to review the Mental Health Act and uh, perhaps amend it so that we can actually uh, begin to provide 
uh, care for uh, for some of these folks. You know, we have a uh, we we've had a meth crisis that emerged in 2016. Uh, the uh, health system has had a very difficult time distinguishing between the poor mental health and psychosis that is attached to meth addiction and actual mental illness. And that is the story of Robert Ingram. Every time that we tried to get psychiatry involved, even when we actually had him uh, on a psychiatric ward at Health Science Centre, what everybody saw was meth addiction and everything just came back to meth addiction. Well, no, that wasn't about, it wasn't about meth addiction. It was about a young person that has, that, that is mentally ill and we watched helplessly. So did his family. We watched the progression of that mental illness from Mayor, 2019 to 2023 when this is the ultimate outcome. Marion, you, you mentioned some displays of aggression. Uh, I think you said towards animals. Did I hear that incorrectly? No, that's uh, exactly what I said. You know, so you saw this, this shift from someone years ago who interacted uh, with, with, the, with the house animal, with the dog at Moberg House. And then when did you see and, and did you anticipate that this individual uh, could, you know, raise the level of violence with which they were willing to inflict on others? Uh, we saw about two years ago um, the the likelihood that uh, this young person would become not only a danger to himself but also a danger to others. But again, um, there's no system for for you to intercede on this individual's behalf or others in the same in the same situation. Is that what we're gathering correctly here? That's correct. And no, and I want you to understand that nobody tried harder than his mother. His mother actually would leave her job to really just to, just to take on the casework of trying to manage uh, her son's mental health uh, and, uh, and, and advocate. She advocated, uh, she advocated till there was nothing left in her to actually try to get um, psychiatry uh, to intervene, and and uh, we all believe that he needed a forensic uh, assessment, and he needed to be in Selkirk for a period of time. Uh, again, um, the system can't give what it doesn't have, and it just really is. This was not a system that could uh, that was willing to recognize the needs of Robert Ingram, and if you can't recognize the needs, then you actually can't do anything uh, to try to address or meet those needs. This is devastating. I feel uh, my thoughts and my prayers go to uh, Robert Ingram's victim, her family, uh, but also to Robert Ingram's family because uh, the lack of a of a of a systemic response and and the real uh, understanding the difference between poor mental health and meth addiction and actual mental illness has actually created so many victims. The list of victims is really long here, uh, Robert Ingram included. Marion Wilson runs Morberg House and St. Boniface Street Links and has a history with Robert Ingram accused in that Olive Garden statting. Thank you very much for your time, Marion. We appreciate this. Yeah, you bet. All right. Bye-bye. Inspired by the four kids who were found after surviving 40 days in a jungle in Colombia, they're doing okay, including an 11-month-old child. We're asking you, where do you think you could survive if you were stranded somewhere? 
somewhere out there. And yeah, we got a lot of fun responses. Like Uliana said, I'd survive in Walmart. And we had somebody say I'd survive at uh, in a shopping mall. And uh, Ikea was one of them. And the Holiday Inn was another one. And sure, yeah, if you got stranded at a hotel, that'd be fun. Maybe but- we should make that a question for another time. Like, where would you like to spend the night? You know, when Ooh. you were a kid, is your favorite move, like if you got stuck in, in what store or what factory or oh. what? Oh, yeah, like uh, it's always the scene in some movie where you're overnight, you have to sleep in the superstore, you have to, you know, pull out a tent. And next well, there was the full movie career opportunities. Do you remember that? No, with Jennifer Connelly and no. um, I can't remember the other guy's name. And you're frying up steaks in one corner, and then the next <laughs> you're setting up an inflatable pool, and then over on the other one you've got a whole garden growing because you've got the whole night there to sort it out. Yeah, Dane Cook I think was in a really bad movie where he worked in a Costco-like place and set up like this dream date overnight in this big warehouse shopping uh, center, not shopping center, uh, shopping uh, big box retailer, I guess is the word I'm looking for. Okay. Uh, but yeah, career opportunity. They, I think they were also, they ended up having to survive uh, getting shot by some uh, invading oh. robbers. Oh but, no. But that was a fun movie. And I think it might've been Conley's one of her first, but uh, our winner today is Bill who sort of took it in a different direction because I, well, why don't you, Greg, why don't you just read Bill's text? Uh, because we all very much enjoyed this perspective. Yeah, I have a friend who lived in the Canadian wilderness in a log cabin that they built. Uh, their closest neighbor was 30 miles away as the crow flies. They lived there for 60 years, raised their family, and life was very difficult. It is not a fantasy or is it a Hollywood movie? It was hard, but they didn't make it. They did make it, and they have many stories to tell. In fact, they were profiled in a National Geographic magazine. And they say it's not what you think, emphasizing it's very hard. So that's some good perspective because sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes I I often think sometimes it'd just be nice to go live in a log cabin in the middle of nowhere, maybe by a lake, and just enjoy some silence and isolation, but... For how long? How long could you do it? How long could you manage it? Clearly not. (laughs) (laughs) After this perspective, Bill's right. Even with your family, it's like, uh, what's the show that would have been around when I was very, very young? Robinson Crusoe? Were they stranded oh, the on Swiss, an island? They, yeah, the Swiss, Swiss family, family Robinson, Robinson, they lived in that treehouse. I mean, the treehouse was crew, super cool, yes. but it's just you and your mom and dad and your siblings forever. <laughs> yeah, you I love my family. You just lose your mind. I think you'd lose your mind. <laughs> so, Bill, you win the tickets for Dogman the Musical.